Hey folks, we're back again. It's Metallica, it's St Anger, it's our third birthday. So let's get down to it. Last week we covered their career right up until Reload. This week we're doing everything since and then we're going to come all the way back around to St Anger and talk about that. Enjoy. Um, and then, of course, yeah, they did St Anger, which was... Well, wait a minute, um, wait a minute. Doc- Sorry, we should probably give a shout out to Garage Days, right? Oh yeah, Garage Inc. Garage Inc. Garage yeah. Inc. Sorry, Garage Inc. Which I mean, S and M, of course. S and M, and I think they're significant because what they signify is, I mean, two different ends of a of a spectrum. Garage Inc. is obviously the kind of trying to get back to their basics. You know, you can you can imagine when you've watched some kind of monster special and you've seen the insight into their brainstorming sessions that they're like, guys, we're getting out of touch. We need to get back down to earth. Let's get in a garage. Let's get some of our old jams on. Let's fucking play it like a bunch of kids again. And then with S and M being like, guys, we need to do something bigger. You know, they're just such a bunch of fucking morons that they're constantly looking for some some panacea to solve their fucking crippling imposter syndrome that they probably have. Um, but, mm-hmm. I mean, Garage Inc's interesting. I mean, doing Thin Lizzy... Dude, that was a fucking really big song for them. Like, that was a huge song yeah. for them. Huge yeah. song for them. I mean, I think I think Die Die, my darling, might actually be better than the Misfits version of them, if I'm brutally honest. And I like that song. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I think, I think it's interesting. It doesn't get a lot of praise, but... You know these kind of things. You don't like the band, as uh, <laughs> I'd class myself in that category. Um, I, I don't mind that. It's it's okay. It's certainly no worse than listening to their albums. S and M, I'll give you, is a fucking monstrosity. It's yeah, it's a stodgy <laughs> fucking stick. <laughs> <fuck on a laughs> I mean, yeah, they clearly thought we're at a Pink Floyd stage, but yeah, they yeah. just you know they had bad advice. They must have been trying to replicate Kiss here, right? Because they did the same thing. Yeah. Did that well, orchestra thing. yeah, yeah, maybe. But you get the feeling that Kiss are just a lot more self-aware than Metallica. Kiss are sort of aware of their own absurdity. Not all of them, I think. I don't think Gene Simmons is at all. But <laughs> no. uh, by the way, like, Kiss, by the way, so I keep going back to Jason Newstead, but I fucking I loved hearing about how Kiss was what made him play bass. That he was a guitarist originally, and then he, he said, um, I can't remember what album it is. It was one of the Kiss albums, one of his friends brought it into school and he said it was like the most revolutionary bit of music that he heard in his whole life. He immediately took two of the machine heads off his guitar and restrung it before much heavier gauge strings and became a bassist from, from there on. So my, my, my question is, is there anything to like in S&M for you guys? This is stupidity. It's funny. It's, it, <laughs> it, it, is a, a, it is an entire album's worth of meme. Mm. It represents something more than any of the actual music. And they did that again recently. <laughs> oh, I, suppose, I suppose we'll get to that. <laughs> yep. So then, 2000, it was kind of 
a new era for Metallica. They'd done S and M. They'd done two really shit records. Done Garage Inc. And then I remember they released "I Disappear" that track off Mission Impossible wow, Two. Wow. Terrible song. <laughs> don't know. Is it worse than the film? I'm not sure. Because what a terrible <laughs> oh, film. It's well. fucking horrible, man. Um, but yeah, that was then when they went to war with Napster. Mm. Um, I think they were just bored. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think like they're getting getting it moving into middle age. Yeah. And like I, I'll talk about this when we talk about why St. Anger is the way it is. But they were figureheads of an anti-establishment genre mm-hmm. in the 80s and then the Black Album made them the biggest rock band in the world they couldn't live up to that musically but you know they're still fucking rich and becoming middle aged so what yeah exactly the year 2000 comes along what are they doing uh, let's just fucking go to court with new technology yeah. they let some guys in to film them for a documentary which was going to be just a couple of late night specials for this the recording of the new record and of course they wouldn't let Jason Newstead record an, a new album with his side project Echo Brain mm-hmm. so he left the band mm-hmm. so it's a fairly interesting time mm-hmm. um, and so they then record and release in anger which we will talk but about but hey uh, even if you're not a Metallica fan you should watch some kind of monster it's yes. very well, yeah I th- we'll, we'll talk about it because I mean it, we're lucky to have a uh, this is the first album that we've done that has, you know, a cinema-released documentary about the <laughs> making of it. <laughs> and it's fucking amazing. Yeah, a cinema-released documentary with the kind of opening graphics that looks like it was done by a first-year student as well, which is <laughs> just a, a beautiful touch. Yeah. But yeah, so that movie includes them getting a new bassist, you know... Um, Robert Trujillo. Or Robert of Trujillo. S- Trujillo of Suicidal Tendencies. <sighs> Who basically uh, looks like a mixture of Roman Reigns and Jason Momoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, they ended up, what was it, 2008? I think they released Death Magnetic. Time, uh, which is them. Them. The going back to their thrash metal roots. The only other album that placed below St. Anger on some of those lists as well. Really? Sh- yep. Yep. I don't like this. Dead this last. Metallica dead record. last on uh, who was it? Kerrang! Dead last on Kerrang's list of Metallica albums. I think the first three songs are pretty good, man. Uh, that was just your life is getting m- m- bit more riffs, more better riffs than the whole of anger in it. More better riffs. <laughs> yeah. well, well, I mean, good, I will good, definitely good disagree podcast with that, in there, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I do words good stuff. Uh, now, if I, I, I Death Magnetic is just like eighties Metallica done by middle aged men. Oh, yeah, uh, exactly. So, yeah. and that's what it sounds like. <laughs> and then you have Hardwired Self Destruct after that, which which came eight years later. So. A big ga- that's the biggest gap, I think. What have they done? Uh, stuff. 
<laughs> I think yeah, Alice, I mean, who cares Alice Rise is a good just, song, man. They're just Alice rich Rise and is a, fat. Alice Rise is a great song. Could easily go on a, one of their early records. Mm, I mean, yeah, well, that's this it. album and it just went in one ear and out the other. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. That is it for me. And then they've since done H and M two, S and M two. Oh, we well, talk about Lulu. Oh yeah, fuck. We, we never talk about Lulu. Lulu. So yeah, that was in 2011. They recorded this um, piece of art with uh, <laughs> Lou Reed. So when I first heard it, I thought it was a colossal, unequaled abomination, right? And then and you're like Snanga. <laughs> I actually, well, I gave it a. Li- I was listening to it on the on the walk here today, and there are a couple of times when it actually clicked for me there's like right where's what there's maybe like three songs on it that are can, not can I stop you? bad can and I, I kind of understand what they're David, doing David David let me stop you for a minute I just want the audience to know when we're recording and something like this happens and someone starts for example talking about an album that we all know is shit it means that in the edit I have to then sit and listen through these fucking songs <laughs> to cut them in no, but so, <laughs> so Brandenburg Gate which opens the album Lulu is hilariously bad I would cut my legs and tits off when I think of Boris Karloff and Kinski in the dark of the moon. It made me dream of not... There's no correcting that. But then, The View, I kind of got it on the walk here. I was like, that doesn't sound too terrible. Pain and evil have their place sitting here beside me. I offer them to you as servants of the gold that you must give Pain and evil have their place Sitting here beside me And I'll offer them i offer them to you And then I think It's either Pumping Blood or Mistress Dread Has got this uh, Drony um, Violin that kind of I mean I'll say it Sounds a little bit like Godspeed But <laughs> the, the problem with Lulu is Right That it's an interesting concept Having like this artiste Like Lou Reed doing weird poetry David, over the top of stop it. For a but second. The prob- stop for a the second. Main problem stop, with- stop, 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 just for a second. That was the epitome of what I was describing earlier on with the fucking Baby's Day Out syndrome, right? <laughs> they, managed, they managed to fucking add a stupid fucking droning violin and some fucking hipster just compared them to Godspeed You Black Emperor. Yeah, no, but <laughs> the entire problem of Lulu is the fact that it's... It exists. <laughs> no, but is Metallica the metal parts of Metallica sound like an unpracticed high school metal band (laughs) and Lars Ulrich throughout that album shows how incomprehensibly out of his depth he is subtlety is a word that he has never heard of Scott Walker released an album with Sun which is terrible God, it's alright it's it's, it's worse than St. Anger (laughs) Jesus 
<laughs> I mean, it's like it's like fucking intellectual hierarchy aside. It's unlistenably shite. Well, I would say <laughs> I would say Lulu is the has just not worked anyway. Well, that's all we need to talk about, about Lulu. Let's hear what Lars has to say about it. Um, <laughs> after Lulu died. Uh, 25 years from now you're going to have millions of people claiming they owned the record or loved it when it came out of course neither will be true I think it's going to age well when I played it yesterday it sounded fucking awesome in some ways it's almost cool that people didn't embrace it because it makes it more ours it's our project our record and this was never made for the masses and the masses didn't take to it it makes it more precious for those who were involved is this well, do you know what what I like about it is that Lou Reed was doing it as like some sort of ironic take and he was like I'm going to choose the biggest metal band in the world to take part in something that I don't really care about this is just a project that I'm doing the fact that it exists is an artistic statement from Lou Reed and what has happened is exactly that whole baby thing Chris is that Metallica have just been (laughs) plucked by an actual artist to be the metal band that could only be on this record and they're fucking shit at it and they can't do it but it's the fact that they're Metallica is why they're on that record it's not fucking to do with anything to do with their musicianship babies stay out all over the place man it really is you're right yeah 100% <laughs> uh, wow okay well that was a that was a fantastic tour of the back catalogue of a band that I've spent most of my life trying to avoid um, but do you want to talk about St Anger the album David uh, yeah right I'm not being contrarian <laughs> yeah, this yes is, you are <laughs> I am not right I'm being fucking honest here this is the only Metallica album that I ever go and listen to. I believe. Right? I believe that. I've been in a. I've been in a tour van with this guy. He completely unironically enjoys this record. Look, it's shit. <laughs> this is definitely a shit album compared to any album that I would seriously want to put into unsung. Right, but I believe this is the most enjoyable Metallica record. <laughs> it's my favorite. Right, I don't think it's the best, and it's obviously not the most influential, but it's my favorite. And is it perfect? Absolutely far from it. <laughs> but it's fun. And it's, it's my podcast and I'm going home. <laughs> well, yeah. So Metallica are the way that we created them. The way the world created them. Take a bunch of snotty skateboarders and make them into incredibly rich and famous musicians. They become figures of this anti-establishment movement. It's an entire genre. It's sort of apolitical. So you've got fans from every part of the spectrum give them money for being angry and then after 20 years they become the establishment and I think that you know some kind of monster shows you them dealing with that that is interesting Um, that's an interesting point because you spoke about the arrogance earlier on of them saying we became the mainstream because the mainstream came to us it's like yeah like you spent your whole life making money by being counterculture then you became culture and now you're trying to find relevance, flailing around trying to find some yeah, they, kind of relevance. That, that's what the nineties were for them. Was you know like fuck shit? How do we live up to this record that we've created? How do we live up to being this stadium uh, uh, rock act? And I guess maybe the albums Load and Reload were secondary to the fact that they were just touring the world so much and making so much money. And then this came this pause and. Jason left the band and they've got to sort of suddenly they're looking in at themselves and I guess it's maybe you know it's the 90s it's the 2000s it's the first time that therapy is mainstream and stuff like that and a big part of uh, that film (laughs) a a main main, uh, character is the therapist Mm -hmm. Um, that scene when he's watching them jamming 
and a character well he's a real person but <laughs> he reminds me of the character in local hero um <laughs> where the rich oil magnet has like a therapist who comes and just starts calling him a motherfucker and (laughs) prank calling him and stuff like that and cannot be sacked because his entire way of therapy is to wind up the guy (laughs) and that's what this guy reminded me of anyway yeah as mentioned it's really handy having an entire film dedicated to this record but i right so this is this is my theory i think st anger is a defining story of modern america (laughs) i think it's these Kids that raged against the machine, they were punks, became hugely successful within the system by being this sort of acceptable rebel, like a viable enemy that was still within a a power structure. Mm -hmm. 20 years on, they're truly part of the establishment. Uh, You know, they're fighting against Napster and home taping. Lars Ulrich is going out and selling his art collection for $14 million. They've got therapists. They've lost all their purpose but what they do still have is anger and that's kind of what this album is defined by is that they don't know what the fuck they are they don't know who the fuck they are they spent the time recording this record trying to work out where they fit in this world who they are and they look inside themselves and bring out this raw imperfect (laughs) ridiculous record David that's that's bare it's shorn of edifice but it's fun it's metal it's punk (laughs) And it's got riffs, it's got hooks, it's got the best snare snout. No, I'm not even good. It's got the terrible <laughs> yeah, sound. David, 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 um, David can, I, yeah. can I just suggest that they should perhaps have called it St. Tantrum? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, well, I, don't, I don't think there's a lot of genuine anger in here. I think there's like no, multi-millionaires multi having a, a, exactly, a midlife it's crisis. It's like white American middle-aged men that have succeeded in life. And have a, a shoes are then engines. spiritually empty, and <laughs> yeah. what the fuck? Mm. What and what are we doing with our lives? And it's this is much better than golf. <laughs> I'm so much happier that St. Anger exists than all the games of golf that they could have played instead. Hang on, so okay, do you know that this album got five out of five in Total Guitar, and I think it was Metal Hammer gave it nine out of ten when it came out. Yeah, it got a great review. But that's just because they were from really glad people. that Metallica were back, and it wasn't load or reload. Mm. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So, it's, uh, for the context, well, how, how I try and parse it in my head is that they went from being this huge stadium rock band, uh, metal band, to wanting to be. Well, they were obviously really influenced by ZZ Top and Thin Lizzy to wanting to be like that, mm-hmm. and people hated it so much. That would definitely send you down into this huge midlife crisis. And they decided to come back with this album, which is trying to capitalise on the sound of the day. I like that idea. Hang on, I like that idea. But can I can I just deviate from that a second before you move on, right? Because I think you're right. But the problem is, as far as I can see from the outside, they've just not given a fuck about the band anyway. They tried to do the stadium rock thing, but none of the stadium rock stuff was fun. Even all the way back to the mm-hmm. Black album, it wasn't fun. Like Enter Sandman's like a big tune, but it's not a fun tune. Load and mm. reload, there was no fun. And you're comparing them to ZZ Top and Thin Lizzy, which I think is fair. But the thing that they missed is that those bands, to get big, went fucking fun. Like those mm. two, those two bands in particular decided, and obviously Kiss and Maiden and all those kind of really big hitting stadium rock acts, they had fun music. And weirdly enough, St. Anger, even though I agree it was probably them rejecting, like, okay, fuck it, let's stop trying to be a stadium rock band and let's do something for ourselves again. It's more fun. Like, it's actually it a lot more fun than, than the stuff yeah. that preceded it. I was That's what I was going to pick up on. So they, they've done this thing, which is essentially playing to what's happening in the day. 
you know, New Metal is actually dying at this point when this album comes out, but clearly they were listening to quite a lot of it. Yes. And the riffs. Yes, clearly. Uh, and uh, yeah, it does feel more fun. It feels more genuine than. than it most feels rawer and looser than most New Metal. Like, mm. it sounds like a band in a studio playing live rather than. I mean, it's. It's processed. It's brutally loose. When you listen to this album on yeah. headphones, it's it's actually boss. It's horrible. Amateurish. Fuck. The vo- Fuck yeah, like yeah, the, the, so pa- bad. the panning, <laughs> even the takes, the vocal mm. mix. I mean, the, the vocal vocals. mix, you can hear. It's, it's this thing when you're recording the vocals for an album and then you go to the mixing stage and you don't want it to sound like a guy standing in a vocal booth or whatever just singing along and in this album it sounds you can hear James even without having seen some kind of monster so you can visualise it you can just hear James standing there singing along trying to get the next take trying to get the energy you can hear the cuts between takes to get oh the best bit of this and the best bit of that like it's so transparent it's an incredibly honest album in the sense that in its ineptitude in this you know when you hear it it's very unpolished it's very poorly executed it's incredibly transparent and and i'm not saying that doesn't make it fun it does it's actually quite insightful even down to the decisions the creative decisions like Lars, because he was so famous and had so much control at this point that he can insist that they use this absurd fucking snare sound that completely over- <laughs> like and mi- and drum mix, not just the sound but the mix that just completely overrides what might actually have been some okay arrangements if you're a fan of their music. It's just it's such a transparent record, and that's that that is compounded if you listen to it in headphones, where you can really hear the chopping between takes, and you can really hear the the, the shittiness of it. I mean, it it, it is. Very, very naked in that sense. Can I just just to wrap up my point um, before we move on to the record in full? They got the shit kicked out of them for this record, not critically, but by their fan base, they, they totally did. And then they came back with Death Magnetic, which is it was like an ev- apology. Every- <laughs> everything turned up to eleven as well. Literally, it's so fucking compressed, and that it's just a square. Basically, when you look at we form the whole thing, it's just a square. This is a far more honest record than Death Magnetic. Yeah, I think. Uh, you know, I'm not going to like this album at all, right? But you've actually swayed me on it with your opinion of it there in terms of the wholesomeness of it. If that's if that's even yeah. how we can look at it, I don't. I don't think this band can ever be truly wholesome because I think there's a, there's a lot of facade that plays. We've kind of touched. Yeah, on. I think. See, when you listen to the stuff from like the late '80s and the early '90s, what you can hear is a very, very skillful and competent management team and production team curating a bunch of morons and and in this album you know the lunatics have taken over the asylum and the morons are making the creative calls and that that high-end management team has sort of been ignored now and pushed to the side and therefore you can just hear the naked moronic nature of the of of the music i think much more clearly and right so i get we we can skip through the tracks we don't need to go that deep (laughs) because i mean it doesn't warrant it i went so deep on them last night man holy shit (laughs) can we can we just quickly say can we just preempt it by being there is an obnoxious snare tone all the way through this album if you try and google st anger snare is the first fucking thing that comes up on google right it basically (laughs) this was a combination of them listening to a lot of new metal and a lot of new metal we've covered this in past episodes and mark mentioned helmet Helmet were one of the the main purveyors of this uh, very resonant, highly tuned snare tone where the the skin is very, very tight. Sometimes the snares were actually either partially off or all the way off in some cases. And you get this, it's a very, very overwhelming tone with lots of ring in it. And they just 
They absolutely fucking went to town on this. I don't know what Lars had been listening to, but he just fell in love with this. There were bands like Quicksand who used it to really good effect. Deftones did it a bit as well. But then there's albums like this where it is just so completely OTT and the, the the drum mix in this does absolutely no favours for what is already not an amazing album and they also famously banned any guitar solos yes um, which yeah. I actually think but works in its favour and is one of the best moments guitar favours are fucking overrated it is one of the best moments in the movie let's be honest when Kirk finds out <laughs> yeah it's yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think Kirk is my favourite uh, so character in that movie. He's so <laughs> fucking cute, man. He really is. Yeah, totally. Like, oh my god. Um, so yeah, Bob Rock. Yeah, because yeah. What's interesting is like Bob Rock kind of. We talk about Andrew Weatherall, but Bob Rock kind of anti-produced this record. Yeah, and he was also very involved and ended up playing it. But right, so we'll go through the tracks and. For each track, I want one of us to be able to hum a part of it or like <laughs> sing along a bit of it because I bet you from each song we'll be able to do that. Yeah. And then, secondly, tell me where you think it should have finished. <laughs> <laughs> because, well, all of these tracks, some of them are at least three times too mm-hmm. long. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, it begins with Frantic. Fucking banger. I mean, this is the right, number tick, one tick, ironic tick, van tick, track. Tick, 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 oh, God. That's the one where they're in the, the jail. Is this, is this the, the video where they're in the jail? No, that was that the, that's track two. That's St. Anger, the title track. But yeah. Frantic is. You, it, you it's know, just it, got a big fucking stupid riff. It does a job. You know, it kind of does a job. It's really stupid and it is very post new metal, but it, it kind of works. Like, I mean, the lyrics in this album are fucking abysmal. And the mm-hmm. gimmicks and but the, they, the, some of them are hilarious, uh, like uh, like thirteen year old English poetry mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Yeah, some well, some like, your lifestyle determines your death style. <laughs> it's one of my fucking favorite lines because it's so stupid. But yeah, actually, in some kind of monster, you see the moment that Lars hears that line for the first time, and he, and he and his reaction is exactly the same as ours. He's like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> but uh, somebody compared it to the diary of a man going to AA, recording his his feelings. And actually, if you listen to the album, I mean. Obviously, James Hetfield spent a lot of time in rehab prior to this mm-hmm. album. That's a big part of the film as well, is that they weren't sure if he was even going to come back to the band. And um, it really does lyrically read like a guy, like a like a dumb bastard that's been in rehab, just writing his own yeah, 100%. sorry diary and then deciding it's going to make for lyrics. See the, um, the vocal line there? Keep on searching. I hate that. Oh, that's awful. Uh, it's an anger. That's another banger. Uh, 
Um, you push it so out. Definitely you push it out. Like, I hate that so much. Oh like the multi vocal melody, like fucking great. <laughs> that vocally. No, say, I mean, no. who the fuck green lighted that fucking vocal take? Fucking <laughs> horrendous! It's so. I've bad. actually written that the bridge is an abortion because it's just it's fucking so bad. <laughs> uh, some kind of monster, right? That That's is eight and a half minutes long. That song you said about where should they end? It should have started at minus two minutes because <laughs> it is two minutes of just fucking filler instrumental. Although the yeah. guitar part that sounds like it's, it's coming through a broken fuzz pedal, pedal and it's just horrible. Well, it's no. Uh, well, here's the thing, right? So, seeing that album, they had been listening to Josh Holm. Lars and those guys really do lift a lot of things. They they are music fans and they listen to a lot of stuff. And on that album, you absolutely hear the the super saturated, very tightly controlled, highly like loads and loads again Josh Holm guitar tone from like. You know, mm-hmm. late Caius, early Queens of Stone Age, around about this period, and and you can absolutely hear that, and that that I think that's where they got it. It, it really is somewhere between that and Kid Rock. It really is. Like it's 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 a horrible song, but it, it it wears those influences pretty pretty apparently. I think the vocals definitely off key in places as well. I mean, have you seen I him mean, doing there's the quite vocal a few things on this record? Yeah, off key. Yeah. I, have you ever mm. seen the video? Like in the, the when he's standing doing the video, the the vocal takes. There's one of them, and he's holding his kid at the same time, and it's like it's mm-hmm. like a fucking crash. And he's sitting doing a recording for an album that was going to sell like however many million units, and he's just like fucking sitting on a couch holding the microphone. You know, just like well, his kid fucking like <laughs> climbs over him. It's just so phoned in. You know, the whole thing is so fucking phoned in. He only had four hours. Of, he only had four hours a day to record as well. Yeah, yeah, that was part like, of his therapy. And he insisted that they stop when he's not there. Yeah, they weren't allowed to even talk about the album <laughs> when if he wasn't there. So for twenty hours a day for you know however many months they weren't allowed to talk about the record they were <laughs> recording that's amazing they're, they're all as bad as each other man I mean everybody picks on Lars but they're fucking idiots honestly yeah a uh, dirty window This is le- actually could have been alright. It could have been alright. There's a huge southern rock, garage yeah. blues rock thing all over this yeah. album, and Big some riff. parts of it could have been okay, but they're yeah. not. When they're going, f- <laughs> when they're going full, when they're going full tilt, and that's with the double bass. But the riff's actually not too bad. I think it could have been a, a good riff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bass is also really loud in this song, um, which actually helps because the drums sound like complete shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a machine gun riff at about two minutes thirty as well, which is pretty cool. Rejector, 
uh, Invisible Kid. I mean, this is <laughs> true uh, catharsis of a child here. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, fucking hell, this is eight and a half minutes long. I would have said maybe finish it at three and a half. <laughs> yeah. I think um, need, need fucking an editor. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens I mean, when the band's in charge, though. When you don't yeah, have the band in charge, and it's all about ego as well. Yeah. And it's just like, oh no, but I've got this extra bit that we could just do, and then, oh, let's just redo the first verse again, and then... And the thing is, as well, we're not, we're not talking here about Have a Cigar or Marquee Moon with like a six minute solo. They were not allowed solos. You know, it's not like it's not like there's a huge spacey, like indulgent bit where you get to really be like, yeah man, this is all just chop, 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 chop. It's exhausting. It's so I mean Kirk must have been fucking raging, man. Raging. There's a bit around about five minutes fifteen where he starts singing "Oh, what a good boy you are," which is a bit of music that should never have ever been recorded by any any human being. Uh, my world. Oh, it's such bad fucking groove rock. I mean, it is. It's oh, like yeah. Yeah, really sub Pantera, like bad mm. groove rock. It feels endless. <laughs> the song feels like it's never going to fucking end. Yeah. <laughs> um, shoot me again. Maybe this one of the worst the bits of music since the turn of the century. No, it's hilarious though. It's great. <laughs> it sounds like it's so like, funny. Shoot me again. I ain't dead yet. Yeah, like, it sounds like so funny. Do you know? Do you know what? See the See verse. Metallica, the banter years. <laughs> the verse bit is exactly, and I will fucking, I will go to the grave saying this. It's exactly like Bodies by Drowning Pool. The verse. It's the same fucking melody, and it's the same fucking guitar uh, bit. The, as well, the, man. The, that's the thing. They're going for like tank core. You know those tunes that you hear blasting out of U.S. tanks as they drive over people's houses. In, in well, Baghdad. I think they famously did use Metallica D- to torture, torture mm. uh, Iraqi me. and Afghanistan. And me, since and Chris <laughs> Cusack. <laughs> uh, Sweet Amber. I actually uh, like that riff. I think that's a, uh, I think that's a yeah, cool riff. Yeah, it's a good, good song. Wow. Can I feel stretched? <laughs> the unnamed feeling. Jesus fucking Christ. Oh my god, the vocals are so fucking bad in this song. There's a <laughs> bit in it where he tries to get kind of Jonathan Davis sensitive, you know, where it's like... It sounds like Marlon Manson yeah, to me. It's man. a bad yeah. fucking look for James. Yeah. And there's not yeah. a lot of good looks for James, but that is a particularly bad one. The harmonies are quite bad in that as well. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, purify... I can 
That's almost a thrash riff. That's almost like old school Metallica. But the vocals are, are like brain damage. The vocals are fucking total horrendous total in that song. Yeah. Really, really bad. That's one of the ones we played in the radio show, actually, as an example of bad fucking yeah. <laughs> bad vocals. And then it finishes on the longest song. Wow. Eight my minutes hands. 48 of All Within My Hands. Squeeze it in. Crush it down. Uh, bringing us up to a total of 75 fucking minutes longer than even just a normal CD can take you'd have to get a fancy CD for that amount of junk and nobody even thought to say to them guys you know we could just cut this by 3 minutes and it would yeah. it's interesting you mention that because anything there's a reason that the reason that load is just like 1 minute off seven, uh, 79 minutes is because they were uh, 78 minutes is because we're told by the record label like you can't go over that you literally cannot go over that That's like, so you had <laughs> to like a normal CD was 72 minutes and then an enhanced mm. CD was 80 minutes and so mm. yeah so they'd gone into enhanced territory here which obviously pushes the price up it means sorry I shouldn't know this fuck stuff but some mm-hmm. some readers wouldn't read this some readers would be like ah, I can't compute can't play this that's fine yeah I think it says uh, the quote I've got here is uh, we were told by a record label that we couldn't go one second past 78 minutes 59 or your CD wouldn't play without potentially skipping exactly um, mm. and then they went right up to 78 minutes 58 seconds on, on load <laughs> <laughs> fucking dicks man fuck's sake uh, so uh, guys do you think this should go in the discography I mean I, like, I, I'm really pleased you nominated it Mike it's, it's like it's it's great ammo I mean it's it's so funny and yeah you know in a weird way I mean unsung is it any good no it's fucking terrible but I mean I hate this fucking band so what, what relevance is they're asking me this I just I think it, it, it definitely merits discussing because it tells you so much about this fucking act. I think this, as, as I said, the Baby's Day Out analogy, this this band are a complete fluke. They, they're just such fucking morons. And they just managed to glide through life, you know, from, from one floating girder to one trampoline to another and just get out of the building site somehow and to 125 million sales. I mean, they're, they're, they just... I should be pissed off about it, but it's so ridiculous I can't even be pissed off about it. So fuck it, why not? Put it in. Baby's Day Out, put them in. Yeah. We can be another part of the Baby's Day Out phenomenon where it's like we spend an hour and 20 minutes pointing out how fucking shit this is and then we put them in anyway. Because that's, <laughs> that's Metallica. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I like your narrative about this, Dave. And that's actually sweet me thinking it should go in. But also, it's fucking Christmas. So let's just, let's yeah, be nice to Metallica. Christmas, exactly. Let's yeah. be nice to Metallica. It's Merry Christmas, it's been a shit year. <laughs> Um, Alright, so we've got to uh, do the Nexus then This is the first time we're seeing Nexus tonight Will it be the last? What do they have in store for us? Why am I here? You're in the Nexus. This is the Nexus. For you. This is what you want. Yeah, the Nexus, uh, which obviously... Well, people wouldn't know because we, we drew it 
during the, <laughs> the aborted <laughs> Cocktail Twins episode, but we drew Sonny Bean. That was chosen by Declan McCafferty, which is right, one McCaffrey. of the most Scots-Irish names you'll ever fucking come across. <laughs> um, but yeah, Sonny Bean. Now, a lot of people won't know who Sonny Bean is. Sonny Bean, uh, Mark didn't know about this, which is yeah. amazing for a guy who Strange. knows a lot about Scottish literature, but he was a... <laughs> yeah. uh, the Bizarre. head of a clan of cannibals in Scotland who might or might not have actually existed, but it's a pretty widely known uh, bit of Scottish folklore uh, that they lived in this fucking cave and used to, uh, you know, ambush travellers uh-huh. and then drag them back to this cave and dismember them. And there was only, yeah, one reputed survivor of any of their attacks and blah, blah, blah. We'll get into that because I don't want to sabotage anyone's links. But Sonny Bean's actually a really interesting bit of Scottish sort of. Yeah, no, it Folklore. really is. Um, and uh, the, the inspiration for many films, which may or may not be part of one of these next eyes. So, uh, David, I believe you're up first. Yeah, well, um, at the 2000 MTV Video Music Awards... Sonny Bean was there. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> he was there. Sonny, Sonny Bean oh, was there. Fucking hell, man. <laughs> hell. Sonny Bean got a guesty. An eight, an eight, <laughs> 80s plus one. Sorry, no, just when you started saying that, I thought I'd done a mark and I was working the wrong way, but no. <laughs> Metallica. Uh, Lars Ulrich appeared uh, with Marlon Wayon, uh, Marlon Wayans in a skit that was like anti-Napster. Yeah, Marlon Wayans, I think it was just after he'd appeared in Scary Movie. Anyway, he, he was like playing a college student listening to Metallica's I Disappear. Then Lars Ulrich just walks into his room and goes like demands an explanation Wayne says oh I'm just sharing music I'm just bored anyway Lars Ulrich ended up uh, getting booed at the end of that whole um, <laughs> thing when he introduced Blink 182 um, anyway Marlon Wayans hey, that year wait a minute. How, how do we know they were booing Lars and not Blink 182 because both of them thoroughly deserve <laughs> a good boo <laughs> I would actually uh, probably side with Lars these days more so than Blink 182 yeah probably Anyway, Marlon Wayans appeared in Scary Movie in... When was that? 2000, yeah. Uh, and Scary Movie was the first of those <gasps> stupid fucking Parody spoofs. Mm-hmm. And the main one that it was um, spoofing was Scream that came out in 1996. Uh, Scream itself was kind of a spoof, or it was certainly a meta comment on slasher movies. Uh, it was directed by Wes Craven. Uh, Wes Craven also directed The Hills Have Eyes in 1977 and The Hills Have Eyes was directly influenced by the story of Sonny Bean. I'm so pleased you did that one, man. That's amazing. Yeah, it's... I mean, it's about a sort of suburban family travelling to LA and the... um, in Nevada. They stop for fuel and, um, yeah, they end up being attacked and... Yeah. Etc. Ambushed by, by a cannibal, crazy mad family. cannibal family yeah. in the fa- in the woods, and yeah, in the um, hills, the hills, not the woods, Dave. The hills. Sorry, yeah, not the, the woods, woods have eyes. eyes. <laughs> 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 nah, great stuff, Mike. That's that's such a fucking cool like thing that they took the story of Sonny Bean and mm-hmm. basically transplanted it to to, to a different straight into location. modern America. Yeah, so it would be relatable. But yeah, they were really and yeah, Wes Craven said directly that you know he was directly inspired by Sonny Bean, as was Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well. More by Sonny Bean than by Ed Gein. Yeah, amazing, eh? Alright, who's next? Yeah, I guess I'm up then. Okay, so uh, Metallica are a band with an album called And Justice For All, as, oh, yep. you've, as you've spoken about. The band Five Figure Death Punch were not just influenced by Metallica, but they actually named their greatest hits album And Justice For None. 
is there. <laughs> Do you know what? I genuinely don't think I've ever heard Five Finger Death Punch. They are uh, truly, tre- truly terrible. They but I can, I can imagine they sound like Black Album era Metallica. But well, they're, a new, they're some, a new metal band. Uh, like they're huge, they're huge. They're, they're, the guys that the singer said on loads of interviews that they want to be as big as Metallica, it might actually happen as well. Um, <laughs> Jesus. On their sixth album, which is called Got Your Six, they've got a song called Jekyll and Hyde, which is, of course, named after the two characters in The Strange Case of Jekyll and Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson. Uh, I won't go into too much detail about that because everybody knows what that's about, uh, so let's skip past that. Um, Robert Louis Stevenson also wrote a book called The Master of Ballantry, which is a book about a family in the borders who were kind of torn apart by the Jacobite Rising in 1745. It's actually quite a good book. And speaking of good books, I also recommend South Sea Tales by him. It talks about Scottish uh, sort of plantations in the South Sea. Uh, really, really interesting about their complicity and slavery in, in the British Empire. Anyway, uh, Sonny, Sonny Bean was said to have lived between Ballantry and Girving. He was actually supposed to have lived in... Beninhead, 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 Beninhead. Anyway, it's out out near Ballantree, Ballantree Bay, and yeah, that's my link. <laughs> I'll give you it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, allowed. These are all little matchbox places at the time, aren't they? So yeah. Uh, Metallica uh, member Lars Ulrich is actually a big arts collector, um, mm-hmm. huge arts collector and seller of art. Um, I think he bought one of his houses just with the proceeds from selling some of his paintings. Uh, funnily enough, Jason Newstead is actually a reasonably well-regarded artist as well now, like, as a painter. Um, he was in the highlights of one of the calendars of one of the American arts magazines for his work. He had a particularly big exhibition in the, the West Coast. He's also, uh, in one of his most famous photo shoots, pictured in front of his one of his bigger paintings, which is called Jesus Lizard. Um, but yeah, Lars Ulrich actually sold one of the, the one of the paintings that he owned by a guy called Jean-Michel Basquiat, and uh, he sold it for thirteen and a half million dollars. This one painting uh, is called "Untitled Brackets Boxer." Um, Jean-Michel Basquiat uh, was a Haitian Puerto Rican um, mixed origins artist who died of a heroin overdose in nineteen eighty eight. He was also the subject of a of a, of a work of art by Andy Warhol uh, Andy Warhol had used Basquiat and kind of turned him into a version of the Statue of David in a 1984 work which itself sold for about 3.2 million um, the Statue of David w- was carved out of a single piece of marble by a guy called Michelangelo circa uh, 1504, maybe like 1501 to 1504, round about then they're not exactly sure uh, a Michelangelo was commissioned to do a little known painting uh, called the roof of the Sistine Chapel uh, mm. by Pope Julius II. Don't know how much you guys know about the popes, but Pope Julius II was also known as the Warrior Pope or the Fearsome Pope. But I personally prefer the Warrior Pope. Oh, I like the Fearsome Pope. Really? Yeah. Well, I kind of yeah see him with teeth. Most of the popes take their names from saints and so on. He took his name from Julius Caesar, and really, <laughs> wa- really wanted to sort of get across. The aggressive nature of, of, of the position. Um, it was one of the most powerful and definitely one of the most influential uh, popes in history. He survived multiple assassination attempts, was involved in a number of international conflicts, and really uh, not a very nice uh, but very badass historical figure. Uh, one thing 
he did was declare an uh, is it pronounced interdict an interdict against Scotland interdict yeah yeah uh, which was basically declaring a period in which communion etc no longer carry holy weight so you know if you lived in Scotland for the period of the interdict you would not be and you really believed in the religion if you went for communion to save your soul then according to the Pope for those years communion wasn't actually absolving you or there was no merit to the, to those religious rituals which was a serious thing back in those days where it carried real weight yeah, uh, totally. uh, the king at the time James IV was mighty pissed off about this mighty pissed off about this um, and during what they call the Italian Wars where different people were fighting for supremacy in the Italian peninsula uh, he decided to side with France over England and you know, Scotland and mm-hmm. France have got a thing like a long history of, of, of cooperation basically because they don't like England um, not without some good reason um, and uh, yeah so James IV his great grandson was James VI who went on to become James I uh, down south when um, he he took over in England which pissed off a lot of the English that a Scotsman had become the king uh, the but ja- one of the other things that James VI did was he led a, a, I don't know what you call it a posse of more than 400 people in the hunt for the Sonny Bean clan uh, uh, they didn't find them but what they did find was the cave and an abundance of human remains chopped up legs limbs in baskets Yep. Heavy metal stuff that Slayer would sing about, but Metallica wouldn't dare. Metallica, Metallica would sing about. They'd sing about a noble King James on his horse galloping in the yeah, galloping through the fields, whereas Slayer would yeah. sing about a man gnawing on a femur. Yeah, fucking right. Mm. So yeah, uh, mission accomplished. Well, I, I hope this has been good throwaway fun, much <laughs> like Saint Anger by Metallica, uh, we and a high point in an otherwise awful back catalogue. <laughs> <laughs> Much like and Anger by Metallica. No, I'm being harsh on us. Um, if this is your first unsung podcast, then please go back and check out some other ones. We don't often oh, do ones that we all actually hate. <laughs> yeah, go and listen to the Mastodon one if you're a fan. Yeah, if you're a metalhead, uh, the Mastodon one's pretty badass and Baroness as well. Who uh, Metallica booked for the was it Orion Festival? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. pretty good bands in that actually. Um, anyway. So, talking about uh, highlights in an otherwise awful year, we are about to do a Christmas special, which yes, we are. which involves two things or two criteria. One of them is that listeners to the podcast submit suggestions for the topics. So we will do a number of uh, set pieces during the show, which are usually suggested by the audience, and they could be anything. I mean, we're kind of broadening the scope here. It's a music podcast, so try and keep it fairly relevant but you can go a little you, you can you can have some fun with that and we've, we've had some interesting suggestions in the past and i'm sure we'll we'll get more now uh and the other criteria is that the three of us get bevied up <laughs> yeah to, ma- to make everything yep. just a little bit more candid and raw and uh i will it, drink one glass of one bottle of wine what i've noticed in, in past years a bit like you know this year david took the lead with the the birthday show is that someone usually takes the lead in the drunkenness and i got the first year but mark definitely got last year I think I was sober the last one. Um, I think you were. So yeah. Mark was fucking blow. I, I won't be <laughs> yeah. sober this one. Love it. I promise. I, I'll I'll be the one that makes a tit of myself. Perfect. Uh, yeah, we're going to David's studio, so he'll be in his home turf. So he has to get blathered, and we will answer your questions. Uh, so get those questions in. Uh, either comment under the episode, comment on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, 
email us or go to the AAA Unsung Facebook group, which is actually a pretty happening place. You get some bants, get some uh, insider stuff. You get to, <laughs> if you subscribe to the podcast, you get access to that, and you also get to hear Luigi and I, my flatmate, doing a special episode on Kiss. Um, <laughs> which was, as I'm sure you guys are both now aware, a total fucking car crash, but <laughs> incredibly funny. <laughs> it was fairly well received as well, so yeah, you should definitely check it out. <laughs> you say, um, this is uh, this is one of the two best covers in history, and you're like, one of the two best covers, Luigi, what's the other best cover? He's like, it's the same song, I just put it on the compilation twice. <laughs> 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 just stupid shit like that I mean there's, there's, there's no shortage of it so uh, yeah subscribe to Unsung Podcast where, where do you go Mark? Uh, unsungpod.net to, to get all of our socials and uh, if you are one of these people who has a newfangled podcasting app you'll be able to find it on that too um, so go and do that so it's like two bucks a month uh, it helps us out a lot because we're spending a lot of time in this and it means you'll get bonus stuff we're about to release another bonus thing as well which is a town hall which is a bit like the Christmas special but not drunk um, so yeah and we will be back for the Christmas special following this and that will be a fucking mess guaranteed but brilliant nonetheless we'll try our best <laughs> alright uh, happy pre-Christmas goodbye bye the lifestyle determines your death style <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>